At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. Morning, church. Eric, Kate, thank you once again. So beautiful, the worship that we get to take part in. You guys appreciate them. Thank you. I heard on Friday that the worship is as good, if not better, than the preaching. So maybe we need to kick our game up a little bit. Joe, Dan, I don't know, but that is great. I just love to be able to worship with you guys. And they make it so easy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dan, thank you for leading us in communion. Wonderful that we individually can thank the Lord for what he has done for us, the sacrifice of his son, and that we can do it together as a group in community. The unity that we have there is beautiful. But we look outside of these walls right now, unity is something that we're not seeing, right? In this culture right now with what's happening in a couple of days, we don't see unity. I don't know if you guys know this or not. Maybe it's a total surprise to you, but in two days there's an election. That catch anybody by surprise? No? Maybe uh, it was a surprise. Uh, the billions of yard signs out there supporting candidates or the political ads that you're getting plastered with or they're even going so far as text messages and phone calls and I swear I could wallpaper my house with the mailers that we've received. It's that intense. But you probably have noticed that the culture that we're living in has become very polarized. It's either you're for us or you're against us. Yes. The middle is, has evaporated. There's no middle ground. You're either left or you're right. There's no civility between people. You can no longer love people that you disagree with. Instead, we tear each other to pieces based on our beliefs or our views or the things that we post. But as rough as this political climate is that we're in right now, Peter was writing to a group of Christians that had it much worse. They were being torn to pieces, sometimes literally, for the things that they believed. They were being killed and made an example of because they believed in Jesus. This is the first century, and Christians of the Roman Empire didn't find their government being a warm and hospitable place for them and their faith. Instead, they found that that government and their countrymen were willing to assault and blame and disparage them and many times kill them because they believed that Jesus was Lord and not Caesar. So while the culture that we're in right now isn't nearly as hostile, at least not physically, a common question remains for us, a question that was real in that time and is real for us now. How do we live with, how do we speak with, how do we love our neighbors and our families and our friends and coworkers who we may fundamentally disagree with? This is a timely message, considering our political climate right now. So we're still in our series called Unshakable, looking at the first two chapters of 1 Peter. We're going to see how we can live as Christians in the middle of this unbelieving world. Peter's been reminding us time and time again that we are elect exiles, we're called to live in a Christ-centered way while we're immersed in this world that is not our home. Jesus calls it in the world, but not of the world. So before we get started, a fundamental question. 
It might be rhetorical, but do you believe that this is the Word of God? Good, good. Do you believe that it is inerrant? What God says is what He means. Amen. Shaking of heads would help me immensely right now. Thank you. All right, all right. And I only say that right here and pause for a minute because as I was preparing this message, it hit me. I had to take a time and repent myself before I could come up here and preach this to you because there were areas that were illuminated in my life where I was falling short. It's a very powerful message. So how are we to live spirit-filled lives and yet function as citizens of this fallen world? The Bible is going to tell us that being a good citizen means that we submit to our rulers, means that we do good to the people around us, and it means that we live to serve. And the big idea of this text this morning that we're going into is God's people are good citizens. Let's turn in our Bibles, where you can look on the screen. It'll be up there as well. We're going into 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 and 14 together here this morning. The Holy Spirit says through Peter, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So the first practice we are to undertake here is we have to submit to our rulers. That sounds tough, but the text is inspired. It's very clear here. Even though we like to look for loopholes or ways around obedience to this passage, Peter here directs us to live in submission to our governing officials. The word declares, be subject to every human institution. The original Greek meant to be submissive, to be in a submissive relationship with. God spells out for us with clarity that we are, be, we are to be in submissive, submissive obedience to the government leaders as we live out our calling in this world. But submission doesn't sit right. Does it? Get that feeling? It feels wrong to the selfish nature that we have. But church, these are God's words. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter, telling us to be submissive to the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him. And this is a staggering charge when you consider the context that Peter was writing from. This letter was written in about 63 AD. It was written from the city of Rome. So who was the emperor in Rome in 63 AD? We can go back in history and look and find that answer very easily. And we can say, oh, it was a, a pro-Christian, conservative, pro-life emperor, wasn't it? <laughs> Not even close. The emperor of Rome at this time was one of the worst. It was the arrogant, sexually immoral, violent, and persecuting Nero. The same Nero that burned the city of Rome to the ground and blamed it on the Christians. The same Nero that drug those Christians out and persecuted them and sometimes burned them alive in retribution for what they had supposedly done to Rome. So we're not talking about submission to a government that we agree with. Quite the contrary, we're talking about being submissive to a government that we would completely object to. So this begs a very big question here. Why? Why should we submit to leaders who seem to be completely opposed to everything that we hold dear? Fortunately, Scripture is inspired it foresaw this question and it answers it for us here this morning. First, 
The ultimate reason there, if you look back at verse 13, why are we to submit? It says, for the Lord's sake. Our submission and our obedience is really not about the government. It's not about those leaders. It's all about submission and obedience to the Lord himself. We demonstrate our allegiance to Christ when we submit in that way, regardless of how we feel about them. We've got this like nationalism, which can be dangerous at times, or this American taxpayer pride that says, they work for me. I'm not going to submit to them. My taxes pay their salary. Right? Anybody said that? I've said it. But the Word of God tells us to act in a much more Christ-like manner. We should be willingly submitting to the authority of the president, to the authority of the governor, for the sake of Christ. And if that wasn't enough, the second reason is found in verse 14, that we are to obey because of God's purpose in establishing government. It's part of the common grace that he established on this earth for everybody. You have saving grace for us as Christians. You have common grace that's available to the entire world. The beauty of the sky and and the sunlight and all the things that we hold dear. And government is one of those things that God established as common grace for everyone. Because of our depravity as humans, if it wasn't for government to hold things together, we would devolve into total chaos. Let's take a look at what Paul says of that same government. Romans 13, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So our obedience to these government authorities is at best only secondary. Our primary allegiance is to God. Our desire in being obedient to the emperor or to the king or the president or the governors, whoever is in power is to bring honor to Christ and make his majesty and his greatness known to an unbelieving world. We expect our children to obey us, parents. We expect that our children obey us. Sometimes we quote Ephesians 6.1, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And by a similar degree, but up another level, this submission and respect is related to all of us when it comes to government authority. We are never a people who are completely out from under authority. But keep in mind, we're not just commanded to roll over and accept any command given to us. So there's another question. How far should we submit? When, if ever, should we stand in opposition? Luke answers this in Acts 5, verse 29. This is the portion of Scripture where Peter and the apostles were in the temple preaching Jesus, and the high priest grabbed them and said, you will not preach the name of this Jesus. And they said in verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We've got other examples. We've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We've got Daniel. They all received God's stamp of approval as they stood in defiance and disobedience to an ungodly command. So the biblical answer is, 
When government commands you to disobey God and violate his instruction on how we are to live, we don't follow. Caution. Don't always look for the escape clause. Don't always look for a way out of humble submission and obedience. Even if we don't agree with the politics, even if we don't agree with the policies, we should still show humility and respect. We show that we are citizens of heaven. We display the good news of Jesus to the world when we honor, respect, and obey those who are in government. And then on the flip side, when we don't, when we mimic the attitudes of this world, we don't show Christ well. Christians, church, we've got to do better for the sake of Christ. We are elect exiles. We're citizens of heaven. And this lost world is watching us very closely. The second way that we live as godly citizens is a little more boots on the ground. It's a little more street level here. It relates to our neighborhoods and our communities. Peter tells us, for goodness sake, do good. Let's look again at 1 Peter chapter 2. We're in verse 15 this time. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The Holy Spirit makes a very clear statement here. This is the will of God. So often we want to know, am I doing God's will? When you're young and you're getting married, am I doing God's will? You're going to move your family across the country to a new job. Am I doing God's will? I'm buying something big, a house or a new vehicle. Is this God's will the way I use my finances? We just launched a campaign for two doors down, a major expense. We're constantly seeking God in prayer. Is this your will? However, the Holy Spirit makes it very clear in this instance. Here's actually what God desires for our lives. Spoiler alert as we go forward. This is something that we've been doing very well thus far in Elginac. So what is his will for our lives as we seek to be godly citizens in a secular society? Look at verse 15 again. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This parallels what Dan preached last week in verse 12, that we keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. The idea that Peter's after here with these two statements is that when we live in such a way that we're doing good to our neighbors, even if we're falsely accused of doing evil, the accusations don't stick because of the good that we're doing. Effectively, when we live lives of doing good and the world throws mud against us, their accusations are void, and they are the ones who in turn look foolish. You guys remember a few years back? Many of you were there. Anger and lies rained down from the community. We touch on this a lot. Glory to God. We give glory to God every single time. We were called outsiders. We were said that we were going to be destroying this community. We are going to be busing in homeless people to wreck the community. There was general distrust, and there was animosity, and shouts of Woodside, go home. But what did our leader say? What did he say? Don't respond. Stay in prayer. Keep doing good in the community. Keep loving people. And what was the result? Verse 15 there has come alive in silencing many of those voices. There are still some that remain, but the majority have been silenced, and they're seeing us for the good that we're doing. 
But it can't stop there. It can't just be a church thing. It can't just be a Woodside Elginac thing. It has to be a daily, personal Christian outpouring of love for our neighbors. In his word, the Lord gives us a few concrete directives. He commands us to care for orphans. He commands us to care for widows, the sojourner, which is to say with all of these things, the marginalized among us, those in need, those who are hurting. In short, we need to live out Jesus' words every single day when he says that we have to love God with all of our heart and love our neighbor. Can that be said of Christians today? Can that be said of our church? We drill down another level. Can that be said of you? Facebook Live, same question. Can that be said of you? Are each of us doing what we should and must to love and serve our neighbors and this community and the city and the world beyond? We have to care for the unborn. We also have to care for the orphan and the widow and the wanderer among us. And the neglected and the abused and the trafficked. There are so many hurts in this world and it's our job, church, to care for them. Because when we do good, we disarm the false accusations of people that would say we are evil because the goodness is right there on display. And remember, this is God's will that we live this way. So there's a third practice we're called to undertake as we live, God, live as godly citizens in this world. Again from Peter. Peter tells us, for freedom's sake, live to serve. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. In verse 17, he hammers us with four things. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Here, Peter is giving us a guiding attitude to help us see our lives in this world. We're to live as people who are free. Not thank the founding fathers that were free kind of freedom, not blue stripes on your face like Braveheart freedom, but the freedom that we have in Christ. Freedom from sin, freedom from the law, freedom from spending an eternity without God. And again, this points back to the ultimate authority and submission to Christ. We're to live under Jesus' lordship and in service to him. This freedom that we have can't be used as a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a way for us to live and think and act and speak any way we want without consequences. That's a very shallow view of our freedom and the grace offered to us. And going down that road leads to a host of sinful entanglements. Instead, our freedom in Christ should drive us deeper into loving God and serving our neighbor. So Peter sums it all up here in verse 17. This verse is packed. Like we said, it's four sentences and one verse. So let's together, we'll break it down verse by verse. First in verse 17, Peter says, honor everyone. The focus here that everybody is made in the image of God. We're to be people who elevate human dignity, even with people that we disagree with, even with people who horribly disagree with us or say horrible things about us. We're to honor everyone. Is there somebody in your life that you think is difficult to honor? We've all got them. 
Somebody in your life who's like sandpaper, every time you get near them, you lose a little bit of skin because they're that abrasive with you. Or maybe they're like a belt sander on your arm. We all have them. Honor them. This extends beyond that. There's lots of people in our lives that disappoint us by the things they believe or by the lives that they live. We have to honor them too. Not because of what they're doing, but we have to honor them because of who made them. Secondly, from verse 17, the next sentence, we're to love the brotherhood. That phrase, Peter is pointing at the community of faith in the church, right here. We're to have a deep love for the members of the body of Christ. This means showing love for our brothers and sisters in the Lord in the midst of differences, loving them under times of emotional stress, loving them even when there's tension or we disagree with them a little bit theologically, or even if we're voting differently than them, we have to love them. Because when we love in that way, it's a very vivid display of the gospel for a dying world that is watching us. The next thing in verse 17, I told you there was a lot here. This living in freedom causes us to fear God. This isn't hide behind a rock because you're afraid God's going to smite you type of fear. This is according to Psalm 112, a fear of God that means delighting in his commandments. So with his word as our guide, we delight in and we find joy in loving people. We find joy in serving. That type of life shows that our ultimate freedom is in Christ. And finally, we've got the last one in verse 17 here. And probably the greatest challenge for a lot of us, very true, even a couple thousand years after it was written, is honor the emperor. Peter's driving this home. This is the second time in five verses that we've seen it. It was in 13, here it is in 17. He's saying there has to be specific honor given to the ruling leader of the nation. That includes speaking nobly about the person in office if you didn't vote for them or if you disagree with everything that they're about. Remember, Peter wrote this about a horrible, murderous leader. He didn't make up nicknames like Sleepy Joe or the Orange Man. He didn't pass around irreverent memes, and if he could at that time, he wouldn't have. Instead, he simply calls each of us to humbly honor the ruling leader of our nation. Those are the words of the Holy Spirit. Those are the words of God. They were penned by Peter. So if we look a little bit closer at Jesus' life, just like Dan detailed for us as we went into communion, it would make sense that Jesus' life would mirror these things. So think about how Jesus approached government and his enemies. When we look to Christ, we see him who set aside his freedom. He set it aside to wash the feet of rebellious and betraying disciples. Can you imagine washing the feet of a disciple humbly, knowing that he was going to be the one that would set in course the events that would lead to your death? He set aside that freedom when he stood before government leaders who allowed him to be slandered and beaten and executed without speaking a word of dishonor against either Pilate or Herod. And then Jesus, from his freedom, gave himself for each of us, poor, hopeless sinners. He traded his innocence and his perfection for a violent death. He did this all in obedience to the will of the Father to save us from eternity without God. Talk about humble submission. Praise the Lord.
And the good news, church, is that anybody who repents and comes to him in faith, believing in his power to save, is reunited with God, we're forgiven, we're adopted, and we can come back into relationship with God. That's the good news of the gospel. So all of this obedience and submission stuff sounds hard. You feel the tension inside you. I know I do. Our sin nature puts up a fight. It goes in that defensive posture as soon as we start talking about submission. But the Lord doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't leave us without an answer. Yes, just as we talk, he is the very power to save us from our sin, but he's so much more. We can lean on him when our flesh rejects these commands. Jesus is the power and the model for how to obey him. As we just saw, he's our guide to living a Christian life in the midst of this culture. And if you need more in your personal time with him, I would encourage you to break open one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Walk through that slowly and look at the life of Jesus. Look how he interacted with people. Look at his humility. Look at his submission over and over and over. Examine his life and allow that to impact you and how you work with people. Tuesday, our nation heads off to the polls. We're going to vote. We're going to end all this stuff that we see for three and a half years. <laughs> We're going to wake up on Wednesday morning and you may be very happy with the results. Or you may be thoroughly disappointed. But how we respond on Wednesday morning will be watched very closely. May our response and our behavior emphasize that our ultimate lordship is in Jesus. The goodwill that this type of attitude fosters paves the way for the gospel. So imagine if the church, imagine if God's people were known more for their acts of service and work for the common good instead of just this voting block for politicians. Yeah advancing their campaign hopes. Imagine if people put their feet to work to deal with the needs of society. The needs are great. Poverty and homelessness and trafficking and abandonment, racism and so many other evils among us. How could our world be changed by our action? What if we decided that today we're going to start looking less like the world? What if instead of banging out keyboard hatred online or being angry with people we disagree with, the church rose above all of that by speaking words of honor and respect to our leaders and by loving each other. How would we be known? That would surely reflect the love of Jesus. It would surely reflect and present a very compelling gospel to an unbelieving world. And this kind of love and humility, church, when it's magnified by the Spirit, is life-changing when received by those who are searching for truth. So I challenge us in the next couple days and going forward, let's not live as Republicans or Democrats or even as independents. Let's live as servant-minded, sold-out followers of Jesus Christ, the one true King. All right, Dad, you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Words in black and white. Words of your Holy Spirit written by your servants, preserved for us, inerrant throughout the generations. 
that we can open and examine and see exactly what your desire is for us. We thank you for Jesus, for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Thank you that you are willing, Lord Jesus, to humble yourself and to come to this earth and to shed your blood for our sins. Father, we know that submission is tough. It's countercultural. It goes against this nature that we still have. We pray that you would transform us. Pray that the power of the Spirit would continue to do a good work in us, mold us into the image of Jesus, every day make us more and more like him so when the world looks at us, looks at the things we say, how we treat each other, they see the image of Jesus in us. Father, help us to do good in our neighborhoods, in our communities, so that when slander comes our way, it doesn't stick because the good things that we do are on display for this world. And Lord, help us to love people like you do. Help us to see beyond the superficial, see the image of God. Help us to love people as you have shown and as you have loved us. We thank you. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.